pushing through all of the cloudedness of what the religious leaders had been teaching them and wanting them to see what God really wanted them to know is that their hearts need to change. God's people have a different heart. And if you think back with me just for a minute to the Beatitudes, back when we started this whole sermon uh, 30 years ago or so, whenever that was, the Lord's point was to help his people. It really was his point. He wanted to see them. And I'm just going to quickly go through some of these in those verses. You can flip back in your Bible if you want. He wanted them to see themselves as spiritually destitute. You remember that phrase? As we would come to him as beggars spiritually, and that was the picture that we painted in our minds, so that we would understand we have nothing in and of ourselves, but God has everything and God is everything, and so we need to see ourselves that way. Uh, These people who belong to God mourn in great heaviness of heart over the sin which we have committed against God. And so we live daily with that sense of mourning. It's not that we walk around going, oh, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. But we have the idea that, Lord, I'm nothing without you. And I see the depths of my sin and I need you to purify me continually. We are never proud, Jesus says, or his people are never to be proud, but humble people who know that God's way is the only way and that God chose us, listen, chose us from the foundation of the world. Think about that. That God in his divine mercy said, this person will be mine. And I don't have time to preach through all of that. We've got a whole series on Romans that you can go back and listen to some years ago on all of that. And uh, But nonetheless, God repeats this over and over again. And so we're so humbled by the fact that God would give his own son for us. Why would he do such a thing? And it's simply because he loves us. We're to not ever have a uh, finishing or a quitting, if you will, an ending to the hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are to never be satisfied with arriving. That We've come to the place of achievement in our spiritual life, but we are to always understand that there is more to gain in righteousness. We are to be merciful to others because God has been so greatly merciful to us, right? Has he not? Have you felt the mercy of the Lord this week and his graciousness? We're going to talk a lot more about that and you'll just be overwhelmed by the time we get to the end of what we're going to learn today. And then that God just wants his people to be pure people, both physically and spiritually before him because we know that without his spiritual cleansing, we are hopelessly lost forever. And so we find ourselves saying, Lord, continually purify my heart. Even though I'm born again, we know that sin is in us and we need to be ever cleansed daily. And so all this clearly indicating that life is not about us. Again, this is the thrust of the entire sermon. It is about God and his work through us. God is the focus, always beloved. God is the subject. He is the hero of life. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't give to us ways to understand how to live this life and to be effective in our living in this life. But the effectivity of it all comes from knowing that God is preeminent in everything that we do and everything that we believe and everything that he is. And so now coming to the subject that we've been on for the last couple of weeks, God knowing these truths about his people and how we miss a lot of these things, he says, in order to re- really be my people, you must be in constant communication with me. He is our Father. And if you remember, we 
discern the word to be in our study that he is our daddy. That is the intimacy of what the Lord is teaching us here. So we pray our daddy, our father who art in heaven is an intimate setting there. And so prayer then is an essential element of the work of a child of God. It is a essential need for us to communicate properly with our father. And because Jesus knew that his disciples, or the people listening at least to him, the 12 and the others on the mountainside there, didn't understand this aspect of communication and what prayer really was to be, and because they had gotten so lost in the wrong teaching of what prayer looks like by their examples, these false leaders, Jesus now gives to them this pattern of prayer that's going to help them focus correctly, remembering several key things. Okay, and this is where we've been the last couple weeks. There are two parts to this sermon. Basically, verses 9 through 10 are all about God. 11 through 13, which we'll complete later, is about man and man's needs. And we're going to begin today the subject of man and his needs, what we receive from God. We also said that under each of these two sections, there are three subsections apiece. And we've already covered all of this, just as a quick reiteration, though. The, number, the first one is as a recognition or acknowledgement that God is holy. We are not. We spent a message on that. Uh, urging God's kingdom to come here to this earth, not our kingdom, but his work and for his will to be done. Now, the second part is what we're starting today of this subset, if you will, and that is that we need God to provide our daily needs, okay? our daily needs, which will also help us to forgive which becomes a huge part of this whole prayer, as we'll see in the days to come, and then also protection from temptation. Some of you, I know Jeff's Sunday School class has used Warren Wiersbe's commentaries over the years, and he said this of this prayer. And so let me just read to you what, how he lays it out very similarly to what I just described. Number one, Jesus explains that prayer is to begin with worship. And so as we're thinking about our pattern of praying, we're always to recognize our Father and worship Him, to address Him as our Heavenly Father, meaning that there is, He says, no true prayer without the worship of the true God. I love that, don't you? There's never to be a time where we forget who we are praying to. Secondly, Jesus explains that prayer should be reverent, meaning we're always to recognize Him not only as our intimate Father, but that He is holy. And we said that that is high and holy and lifted up, set apart, high above us. Our prayer, Wearsby says, should always be more about God and his kingdom. In other words, we are to be fixed on God's promises to his people and that everything we ask is based on his will being done, not ours. And that should be clear by now. And then finally, we're to remember that God loves us and will help us in all ways, providing our daily needs as well as our spiritual needs, such as forgiveness and the deliverance from the temptations that so easily come upon us to follow evil. And so now, just as a little bit of a review there with that understanding, let's jump now into verse 11 because I want to, and in doing so, it's going to be a little different than what you may think as we go through this particular verse. I want to give to you several things that I believe are lessons that the Lord teaches us about the provision of our daily needs. Okay, so we're going to look at it from that angle. And so the first one is here, notice God says, give us this day our daily bread. The first thing that we have to understand in our prayer pattern is that God is the provider of our needs. Okay? God is the provider of our needs. Now we say, what is 
he mean by that? In other words, what does the Lord mean by this statement? Well, very simply, and this is again not rocket science, we are to pray every day for God to provide our needs. And you say, well, okay, that's great, but you know, for me, living in America, that's really not a big deal. I don't necessarily think that I need to pray that way because at any given time, if I'm hungry, I can go to the local Harris Teeter or Food Lion or Walmart or some grocery store here close to me and find every necessity of provision that I need to survive. In fact, that's true, right? You and I can go right over here behind us and we can walk through the grocery store and we can find every category of food known to human beings. Just about. I mean, there is an Asian section. There is an American food section, which is the biggest balance of it all. There is a Hispanic section. There's Middle Eastern food. And on and on and on it goes. There's just about everything that you can imagine in all the major food groups in the place that we live, in the wherever it is in the world. Uh, We can even go and find what we affectionately call junk food. Good stuff, right? That's the stuff that we want to spend all of our time on. And people are punching you. No, you don't. You, anyway, don't listen to what I'm saying about that. I'm just making fun, right? But there are all kinds of foods that you and I can find and even things that we've never even heard of. Don't you like to just kind of go down the aisle sometime and go, huh, what in the world is that, right? Where'd they get that from? And uh, what I'm really excited about for those people like myself who have allergies, you can now even find chocolate that's allergy-friendly. How about that? I mean, this is just a great country, right? I mean, just what a wonderful place to live. And I'm being silly, but at the same time, I'm being serious because we really are greatly blessed. And many parts of the world are as well. So it is true. Uh, Very easily, we can see that you and I have just about anything we want at our disposal. But the truth of the matter is, not everybody in the world does. And so everything that we learn in Scripture, we have to apply through the lenses of how it meets humanity as a whole. Now, it doesn't mean that God is not writing to us at times about us individually, specifically, and that kind of thing. We see that in Paul's letters where he was writing unique things to certain groups of people. But as a whole, we want to discern the word of the Lord as it meets people as a whole in the world. And so in Jesus' day, It was a great challenge for many of the people to have their daily needs met, especially when it came to foods. You know that the growing season, if you've ever studied that part of the world, if you've ever been to that part of the world, is a very challenging time, depending on the region that you're living in. Some is better than others. And so it's very understandable why the Lord then would tell them to pray for their daily provision of food. It was hard to come by for many of the people. And for them, bread was the main staple. We're just talking to some folks right after the first service that if you've ever been to other parts of the world, you know that in some countries there are still bread places that just is the main food for people. When we go to Romania, there are shops all over the place, even out in the street where people are selling bread and all kinds of bread because bread is the cheapest and it's the most uh, useful for lots of different things. And so Jesus, in effect, is saying, listen, number one, you need to understand that God is your provider of what you need. And so bread is the thing that he uses as his illustration. So our question really is, though for us, we can see that with other people in other parts of the world, but what about for us? 
in America? Let's just make it personal for us as we're thinking through this. You say, is this really something that I need to pray for here in my country as such a wealthy nation as we are? Or can we just pretty much skip this part? I mean, maybe the Lord really doesn't want us to be so concerned about this particular part of the prayer and I can kind of push my way through it and, and not really focus too much on it. Well, the answer to that is we must pray this prayer for a couple reasons. And the first one is really the ending of it all, but we'll go on further. And that is because the Lord told us to, right? We are to be obedient people. And the Lord is saying, here is my pattern to you for praying. And I want you to acknowledge the fact that you have these needs. And secondly, he's not talking about food necessarily. He could be, and most assuredly is, talking about food in a lot of ways, especially to the audience that he was preaching to. But he's not necessarily talking about food, which is evidently what the little girl thought, that it was all about food, who said this, and her mother wrote this down, when my twin daughters were young, I taught them to say this prayer before going to bed. She's talking about the Lord's Prayer. And as I listened outside their door, I could hear them say, give us this steak and daily bread. (laughs) And we haven't gotten to this part, but she goes on to say, and forgive us our mattresses. And it's kind of funny how people turn those words into something that the Lord didn't mean. But that's the child's mind. But bread, and you and I know this, bread often symbolizes so much more than just the physical foods that we are thinking about here. It also is talking about the areas that we need in other ways. In fact, Martin Luther, the German theologian, great man of God, said many, many years ago, bread refers to food, certainly, but also a healthy body, good weather, a house, a home, a spouse, children, a good government to live under. And we could make a list a lot more than this, but this is just some of what he brought out. And so if what the Lord means is just this, then in our prayers we're to always remember to pray for our daily needs to be met. But in our minds we should underscore the phrase all of them. All of our needs, beloved, come from our God provider, the one who is the one who gives to us everything we need, which by default makes us keenly aware then that God is just that, that he is the provider of everything that you and I have. And we know that he is because Jesus said and just reminded us in the beginning of our prayers to remember as our father, in other words, father, daddy, We look to you to meet the needs that we have. We trust you. We believe you. You are holy. You're set apart. There's no one else like you, meaning there's no one else who can provide like you. And so we're to think of this in that way. So we need to remember then that God is the source of all of our daily provisions. Let that resound in your mind for just a minute. Everything originates from him. Everything. And I'm going to read you some verses to help you to see this. The very life that you and I have at this very moment is from God. The breath that you're drawing at this second is from God. Now you and I know that as believers, but I wonder how often we pray, thank you, Lord, for the breath that you just gave me. Thank you for the joy and the privilege of being able to get out of bed in the morning, to be able to stand on two feet or to 
function in some way. How many of us really process that? And the Lord is telling us to do that. Everything that we have comes from Him. Everything. Our health, the things we own, what we can do with the talents in our hands is all a provision of God. We were joking in the early services. I got up to start the message. I told everybody that I have a guitar in my office, but mine doesn't work like Pastor Ham's. I mean, I don't understand why. It looks like his. It, you know, just when he picks it up, it's fine. But if I use it, it just doesn't work like his. Well, I understand that God has provided a talent for our brother that I don't have. But it's not something that he just conjured up on his own. The point is, is that God gave him that talent. The opportunities that we have in this life. Listen. God would never, ever affirm us being able to take the credit for anything we have done in this life. I've told you this story before, but I'll tell it again because I think it's appropriate. I remember going to the hospital one time with a friend of mine. He was an elderly man getting ready to have eye surgery. And his wife was the evangelist. She was about this tall, but she was going to give you the gospel. And so as the doctor came in and told him about what was going to have to happen, she began to share the gospel with him and, and just thank the Lord for his ability to do what he does. And with that, he put his hand up like this and he said, no God gave me anything. I did this all on my own. Now it's sad, and you all with your moanings and your groanings can feel the same thing I'm thinking as we know that no, that's not true. God is the provider of everything that we have. He gives us the ability to do what we do. He is the creator. And by being the creator, he becomes the provider of all things. In fact, when Paul preached to the idol worshipers in Greece in Acts chapter 17, as they were developing themselves in front of them, other their peers to be the greatest of orators and, and philosophers of the day, Paul walks in and he sees on Mars Hill there these um, inscriptions to unknown gods and he says the God who made the world and the things in it since he is the Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things right there from God's word identifying that listen Everything that you have, you Epicureans and you Stoics, is provided by God. You don't recognize him as God, but he is the provider of everything that you have and everything that you are. 2 Corinthians 9.8, Paul would say to the church in Corinth, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything. Listen, God never misses a word. In everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You know what God's delight is? His delight as our Father is to give to us everything that blesses us. That's what He wants. He wants to bless us with the provisions and the internal things that we need in this life to be the people that He wants us to be. Now, let me quickly say, I'm not talking about prosperity theology. I'm not saying if you do this, God will dump this on you. That's not it at all. I'm simply repeating what the Lord tells us in his word, that when we are living according to his word and following him, and we'll see this more clearly in just a minute, God will provide the needs that we have. Well, let's go even further with the universe. God has provided. He holds all things together. 
Hebrews 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, this is the New Testament writer talking about what God once did in the Old Testament. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds all things by the power of his word. Listen, let's use this illustration I used this morning, the very chair that you're sitting in right now. Those of you who were not nice and didn't come in and examine your chair to make sure it was going to hold you up, the very chair that you believe and just trust and came in and plopped down in, God himself created the molecular structure to bond things together that scientists study, but yet in his divine power, he holds it all together. If he did not, everything would crumble and dissipate into nothingness. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all, all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything. And because God is a provider of all things, Jesus says, pray now. In this pattern, pray that your Father will provide what you need. And notice back in verse 11, the Lord says, give us our daily bread. Let's talk about that for a minute under this Lord as provider. In that request alone, there is an inner acceptance that God is the one providing. You hear from Jesus saying, in your heart, speaking to your heavenly Father, saying, give to us. There's this sense of humbleness there. There's this surrender of giving yourself to God and praying that this Father, the Heavenly Father, the one who holds all things together, will give to you what you need. And so we pray for God each day to provide what we need, humbling ourselves before Him. It's a statement of humility, acknowledging our weaknesses, our inabilities to provide what we need, and that is the stumbling block right there for every sinful soul. Every heart that's born into this world is so sinful it wants to be God. And it rebels against the maker, the creator of all things, and says, no, I'm God, and so I can do this on my own. I don't need any help. But God says, no, my people are not like that. My people are humble, and they know that their father is the provider. And they're to look to him as their provider. It's the same understanding that David understood when he could pray in Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. He is the provider, basically. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness, but delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What? Yeah, you see, David's acknowledging here, King David of Israel, he's saying, if you follow God as his children, he will provide what you need in every way and everything. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. In Psalm 37, 25, a very familiar verse for many of us, and I'll bring this up again. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Or his descendants, what? 
begging bread. God's people do not need to beg for their needs. We ask and he provides. We ask and he provides. And that, that psalm really is a good verse to teach us the second point. So let's keep moving here. That is the Lord's provision, and this is going to shock you a little bit, but the Lord's provision is for believers. The Lord's provision is for believers. Now that may sound unnecessary to some of you to say, but it is true. Nowhere has God promised in his word to meet the needs of the unsaved. Nowhere. God has never promised the unsaved that their needs will be met. Basically, they're on their own. And so the unsaved world needs to be greatly concerned and afraid about where their next meal is going to come from. God has not said he will give to them their daily sustenance. And so they are on a rampage and should be internally even on a rampage, greatly concerned about where their next need is going to come from, where it's going to be met, because God has not said that he will provide them. But you and I, on the other hand, of a heavenly father who promised he would provide everything. And so we take great comfort in, in him and knowing that. And so all of this, again, is a reminder and instruction to God's people, not to the world. Again, that may sound unnecessary to say because it's in the Bible, but we typically think that, oh, look, God is the great provider. Look what he's doing across the world. Well, he's doing that across the world for his people because that's what he promised. Because of his mercy. God allows the unjust to have their needs met. It's only out of his mercy. In other words, when God sends rain, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, that we saw some weeks ago, when we're told that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust, they do benefit, they being the unsaved world. They benefit from God's blessings, but the real benefit is for us. The rain today, beloved, is not for the unsaved. The rain is for you and me. And you say, well, thank you, Lord. That's enough. We've got an abundance, right? Because we're sinful and we think we know better than God. But God is blessing us so that the world will produce, so that you and I have what we need on a daily basis. And so when the Lord says, pray this way, give us, the us is speaking of believers, which our Heavenly Father delights to do. Paul says in Philippians 4.19, my God will supply what? All your needs according to his riches in glory. All your needs, beloved. All your needs will be met by our Heavenly Father. But let's go even deeper because it really means even much more than this. I'm talking about the daily needs. 2 Corinthians 9.10, Paul gives us a little bit of a hint into this. Now he, that's God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The harvest of your righteousness. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that God will not only bless in temporal ways, but God's desire is to bless with eternal riches and eternal well-being. In fact, Hosea said this in Hosea 10:12, sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, break up your fallow ground, talking about the heart. 
For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Meaning the main emphasis is to certainly pray for daily bread. Yes, that is part of the Lord's commandment. But so much more than daily bread is our spiritual bread. The food of righteousness. And this is the things of the strength that we need to live this life. To have the endurance that you and I need to live this life. To have the power to sustain us while we are here on this earth. You wake up on a Monday morning, you go, yay, 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 I got to go to work again. And God will give the power and the ability to go to work. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. You find yourself in the middle of some battle physically and your emotions begin to be overwhelmed by it. Maybe in our case, in other cases, a loss of a loved one or some again, some health issue, and you wonder, how am I going to make it? How am I going to survive this internally? How am I going to make this emotionally work? And God says, I will provide all of your needs, even in the moments where you have no understanding of how you're going to emotionally, psychologically, mentally get through what you're going to get through. God is our Father, beloved, and He delights to provide our needs, all of them. Amen? All of them. All of them. And here's the third lesson the Lord teaches us. If the previous one is true, then this one is true. Poverty, now listen carefully, poverty is due to the sin of humanity. Now stay with me. Again, I'm not talking about prosperity theology here. But poverty is due to the sin of humanity. John MacArthur wrote this about this particular verse. He said, the greatest cause of famine and its attendant diseases in the world is not poor agricultural practices or poor economic and political policies, nor is the root problem lack of scientific and technological resources or even overpopulation. These problems only aggravate the basic problem, which is spiritual. And that is a true statement. You think about it. Think about it with me just for a minute. If God is the provider of all things and there is no other God, then those who don't have their needs met are only suffering from one of a couple things. Number one, it could be that they are either going under, they're under a time of testing from the Lord, which God will do, right? God loves us. He doesn't test us to cause us to fail, but to grow us. And sometimes God will withhold certain things from us in order to turn back to him, to trust him more. That's certainly true. But all of that is even from sin, right? We have this disconnect between us and the Father because of our sinful natures. Or secondly, people are victims of sinful leaders. We're all sinful, but the leaders who are sinful then lead their nations in wrong ways, not to God, but away from God. And so with with they're not trusting the Lord's provisions and trusting the Lord for all things that Jesus is talking about here, then who's going to provide those provisions unless God just somehow does that out of an act of mercy? But that would be for his people. Or thirdly then, people are living a life rejecting the God who provides. And that's the extremes on both ends. You have God who may be testing his people at times to grow them and strengthen them. He's still going to provide, but he may withhold. And then you've got the opposite end that there are people who have no desire to follow him at all. But it's all mixed and riddled because of sin. 
Proverbs 37, 28. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. They will be protected forever. How about that? But the offspring of the wicked will be cut off. Psalm 37, 9. I said Proverbs, I'm sorry, 37. Psalm 37, 9, just another verse. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Now Proverbs 2, 22. The wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. Listen, you know what this is telling us? Poverty in our world is not a result of social issues. It's not a result of climate, but it comes from a rejection of God. That's absolutely what it comes from. In fact, all humanitarian work is a great thing, and we do that as a church. We should continue to do that individually and as a people, uh, even as a nation. But it is futile if people are being helped and those who are helping them are not relying, relying on the Lord. In other words, if it's just a matter of, here, take this to meet your daily needs, it's going to be very temporary. And the Lord is not going to be in it if they're not looking to Him as the provider. If we really want to feed the starving nations, then what we need to do is introduce them to Jesus. He is God. He is the provider. And so he says, when we pray for them, we need to pray that God will provide our daily needs. But if you're not a believer, then he's not your father. So he needs to become your father to have your daily provisions met. Remember, Jesus said, I am the Lord and there is none other. And he also said he will provide for his own. Here again is Proverbs 37, 25 that I mentioned earlier, but let's just reiterate it. I have been young and now I'm old, the psalmist writes. In other words, I've got the bookends on life. I've seen everything in between. But I'm telling you this, I have not seen one of God's children forsaken or any of his descendants begging bread. And the caveat would be that they are followers of the Lord. You say, well, okay, let's think through this a minute, Pastor, with all you're saying there. There are lots of other nations who aren't Christians and they have ample supply. I mean, they have an abundance of what they need, and that's true. But again, the reason I'm arguing from text here is that they are being provided for, not so much for them, but God will use that provision to provide for his own people somewhere in the world. It may not even be right there in that nation. But God will use the pagan work of this world and Satan's demonic host for the glory of his own people and his own name. In fact, the reason that you and I have been so blessed in this nation is because our nation was founded upon Christian principles. That doesn't mean everybody was a Christian, but it was founded upon Christian principles. God was the foundation. That doesn't mean that God was fully understood or every person was perfect. None of us in this room are perfect. But we understand some foundation. And our founding fathers understood, at least have the credible knowledge of knowing that the best way to go about life is to follow God. And as a result, God blessed this land. And from those leaders' decisions and their desire to follow the Lord, it was passed down. And you and I have become the recipients over the years of a society that has been blessed. 
In fact, when you go back and you look at the founding of this nation, the humanitarian things that were established, the human rights work, the caring for the poor, the hospitals, prison reforms, racial and slavery reform were, come, were done not from paganism, but they were founded in Christianity. The founding fathers understood this and people who came to know Christ began to see what scripture taught them and who the Lord was and began to live out their faith and God blessed that. But as much as that is true, you and I can also see the effects on our world, specifically our nation and how we are moving away from God and what's happening now in our land, the degradation of the family where family under God has almost become a swear word. The degradation of human life, the sanctity of human life, the confusion over sexual identity, and all that that brings with it. Again, abortion, euthanasia. It's all just paganism at the core. It's just demonic work that does not follow the things of God. And again, this is not rocket science, beloved. This is basic. God said, if you serve me, I will bless you. Bottom line. If not, I'll remove you. You say, well, that's not a very good God. No, listen, he is God. It's his world. It's his creation. You and I were made by him. We didn't make him. But that's what we want to do. That's what our sin does. And God says, listen, no, I want to be your father. I want to love you. I want to cherish and nurture you. And this is exactly what he told Israel. In Deuteronomy 11, as they were entering into the land, God said this very clearly to them. It shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him Watch, with all your heart and all your soul, in other words, I want all of you, that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rain, in other words, talking about the seasons of the year, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. In other words, you are going to have an abundance if you just listen to me. Verse 15, he will give grass in your fields for your cattle. And you will eat and be satisfied. Beware though, verse 16, watch this, that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or, verse 17, the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Incredible. Now, why could God say that? Because He is the Creator, right? And God never promised that He would bless the unrighteous. And we learn here that poverty then exists and degradation of land and society exists because people will not honor the Lord. He says clearly, I will fix it. And we learn from Israel that they rebelled in the midst of this knowledge that God had spoken directly through Moses and told them. And that's why God said to Israel when Solomon had finished the great and glorious temple in Jerusalem, Second Chronicles 7, you, under, you know this passage, you can probably quote it by heart. I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself, the Lord says, as a house of sacrifice. Notice, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain... 
or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. No one, beloved, has the ability to do what God does. And it's the same story. For centuries we have been saying, turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. He will fix it. He can fix it. He withholds. He gives. Give your heart to Him. It's pretty simple. Those who serve Him have their needs met. All of them. You say, but God's not supplying my needs like you talked about. I still have to get up and go to work every day. And I despise that. I hate that. Well, God could provide for, through miracles. That's true. He's done that before. But mostly, he gives you and me the privilege, and that's what it is, to get up every day and go to work. Which leads us to the fourth lesson. God's provision normally comes through his people working. Paul would write to the church in Thessalonia. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life. In other words, people who profess to be believers, you distance yourself from them, and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Now the issue was, Paul had gotten word that people were not doing their part in the daily work. And so he says here, follow our example. We did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this. In other words, as God's ministers, as his uh, spiritual leaders, they would have the right to receive blessings from the people. But Paul says here, but in order, verse 9, to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing well. I said the Lord worked, didn't he? It's a blessing to work. It's not a curse. Now, there's a distinction between working and serving. Once we become God's people, we don't go to work anymore. We go to serve, don't we? We're taught in the epistles that Paul wrote that we go to bless the ones that are providing means in this life for us. We work as unto the Lord, right? We're, but really what we're doing is we're serving. And so when we get up in the morning, we shouldn't go, oh, I've got to go to work no, we should wake up and say, no, I get the opportunity to go serve today. I'm going to serve my fellow man, but in turn I'm serving my Lord who provided for me. You say, well, I want to work, but there is none. You know why there's no work? You should, because we just talked about it. It's because of sin. It's because of sin, because sin causes a rejection of God. And God is the provider. Listen, 
He provides everything that we need. So when God is not around to be the provider or when he's not wanted to be the provider, where is the provision going to come from? Other than the overflow of what God has provided for his people and you just get the, res- the, the rest of it, the residual. You put it, this lo- put it this way, when the leaders of a nation, talk about that, go back, to, go to rejecting God, so goes the nation. That's what the Lord said in Psalm 33. Blessed is the nation whose what? God is the Lord. Now that's not God just saying, oh, look at those people are so happy because I'm their God. No, he's saying, I bless those people who belong to me. The land that belongs to me, the nation, the leaders who submit to me, I bless. And their provisions will be met in every way. In every way. How about this? Just to put the icing on the cake here. When you get to heaven and I get to heaven, do you think there's going to be any needs there that are unmet? No, let's ask ourselves a question. Why is that? Well, because there's no sin, right? And we're in the presence of our Father who provides liberally to everyone who surrenders to Him, right? So if God can do that in heaven, could he not also do it here on earth? But the only way he's going to do it on earth is when we obey him and we turn to him with our full hearts and serve him the way he has called us to serve. Now that's going to lead us to the fifth lesson. And we just have one more after this and we'll be done. We're not to complain about God's provision because that can bring drastic results as well. In other words, what God provides for us, we're to accept greatly. The Hebrews learned a tough lesson about this in the wilderness. In Exodus 16, I want to read you all of this because I want you to see the picture of what is being told to us from their hearts. We pick up in verse 1 of Exodus 16. Then they set out to Elam, that's the Hebrew people, And all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. So only two and a half months after they left Egypt. This shows you how quickly the human heart can change. The whole congregation, in verse 2, of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by, listen to this, pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And so the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk by my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what is what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they are to gather daily. And that's because the Lord was reserving a holy day for them. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, at evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? In other words, we're nothing. But what you're doing is you're grumbling against the Lord. But in his divine mercy, God provided for his people. But that wasn't good enough because they still complained. 
And that's typically way, the way, again, the human heart goes. I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. Listen, you want a real, a real look into what the problem with our society is today? Our people are so bored because they have been given so much, enough's never enough anymore. It's never enough. And it goes down to the minutest detail. I'm tired of you as my spouse, I'll get somebody else. I don't like my children anymore, I'll send them off. I don't like my job, I'll quit, I'll go somewhere else. We are never satisfied. And that happened to Israel in Numbers chapter 11. They were desiring more from the Lord. So the Lord says there went forth a wind from the Lord, or the Lord created a wind, and he brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side. A day's journey. Now, it's not talking about in cars, but this is walking. This is quail. All around the camp and about two cubits, that's about, that's roughly 36 inches, if I've got my math right, deep on the surface of the ground. You imagine that? Talking about a quail hunt. The people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered 10 homers, and the homers are roughly about a bushel. The guy who gathered the least gathered ten bushels. And they spread them out themselves before them around the camp while the meat was still between their teeth. Before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. Listen, the point that God is making here is I am your provider. I love you. I'm going to meet every one of your needs, physical and emotional, mental, doesn't matter, in a way that you'll never understand unless you just trust me. But if you complain about it and the way I provide for you, then I'm going to have some discipline that's going to have to be enacted because I know what's best for you. And so in our praying, the Lord is saying, give us, Father, our daily bread. We know that you know what's best. And so you provide for us and we will give you a thankful heart for whatever you give us and for whatever you may take away from us. Now think about that. There are times where the Lord takes things away that we don't understand why. And the best illustration we have of this is in the book of Job where the Lord gives to us a picture of the spiritual world that Job knew nothing about. But what we want to see this morning is how God used that test in a man's heart that was fully resolved to follow him. Let me just read this, a couple verses, beginning in verse 13 of Job 1. On the day when his sons, that's Job's sons and his daughters, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, in other words, they were just having a big hoopla party, A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans, that was a group of people, attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew them and the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
And while he was still speaking, yet another also came and said to him, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now folks, that's a lot. If you've ever been through destruction, you could cuddle up beside Job, but I dare say you've had this kind of destruction. And verse 20 is the telltale of his heart. Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, which were signs of mourning, and he fell on the ground, and he looked up to God, and he shook his fist in God's face and said, Never will I serve you again. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. Because that's not what he did. He worshipped. He worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Don't you hear the Lord's prayer in this? And naked I shall return. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. You see, that's the right heart. That's why we have him as an example. And that's why Jesus is preaching what he's preaching. Listen, God is your provider. He loves you. He will meet your needs, but don't complain about it. Don't complain about it. Take what God gives you. I was telling the early service, there was a day years ago where we had to start eating some peanut butter, and I never was liking peanut butter. And um, there came a time where I began to thank the Lord for peanut butter. I just put it that simple. To this day, it's not my first choice. But every time I see peanut butter, my heart remembers what I had had to change from because I realized that was the Lord's provision. I said, I don't know what you're experiencing right now, whether it's the loss of a job or you're just tired of COVID or whatever it may be. What God wants you to know this morning is that my people, you who belong to me, accept what I give them at the moment I give it to them. He never said we had to like it, but we are to trust him. I'm quite confident Job did not like that scenario. There's no way Job would have liked that scenario. His wife was a telltale of that too. Remember she comes along and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Job says, you speak like a foolish woman. I'm not going to do that because I know that God is the provider. Listen, in the midst of your struggles, what God is saying to us is you just hold on. Just hold on because I know what you need before you ever ask me. And I will meet your need according to my purpose and my plan for you. You belong to me. I am your father and nothing will ever change that. And I will meet whatever it is you need to meet. Which leads us to one last point. We are to trust the Lord daily for what we need. Notice the Lord says, give us this day our daily bread. And what that means is God wants us to trust him for just that, for today's provision. We don't have any guarantee of tomorrow, right? We don't have any guarantee of the next moment. And so God says, trust me for today. We are to plan like there is a tomorrow, of course. But all of our planning is to be based on God as our provider, if the Lord wills, if the Lord's desire is this, and we accept from him what he provides for that day and what he knows we need. And we will be satisfied. And that day, when we're focused on that day, we're content with what we have. 
which is what the writer of the Hebrews says. Hebrews 13.5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. I want you to see the phrase there, be content with what you have. It doesn't mean it's wrong to think and, and look forward to something else. God knows that. But in the end of the day, we sit back and we say, but God, if this is not your will, I'm perfectly content with the way things are because I know it's for my best interest, whatever your answer is. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content whatever circumstances I'm in. And he lists a bunch of things. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, listen, I've lived the full spectrum. I know what it's like to go days without food. I was shipwrecked, left for dead. I've been stoned several times. I've been beaten without rods. But at the same time, I know what it's like to belly up to the king's table and receive a great meal. And so I'm content with whatever the Lord gives me. And the Lord's later going to say, and we'll close with this, in Matthew 6, we haven't gotten to this yet. Listen, if you hear what I'm saying, basically, let me paraphrase. I'm the Lord right now. If you hear what I'm saying, Jesus is saying this, don't worry about what's your life, what your life is all about. I'll take care of that. Verse 31, chapter 6 of Matthew. Don't worry then saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, which is another word for the unsaved, eagerly seek all these things. There it is. See, the world has to chase after all these things. They don't have a provider. For your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Aren't we blessed? I mean, I don't know about you, but that just, sometimes I just drive down the road and I just go, wow. I mean, this is just almost too good to be true. You know, just the last couple of weeks, this, the moon was beautiful at night and, you know, um, you got a dog like us who wakes you up at three o'clock in the morning. Hmm? And we're so happy about that. <laughs> Not. But God provided him, right? And you just are amazed with the provision the Lord has given to us. Hey, can we just say it this way? That this world was given to you and me as his children? The world thinks it all belongs to them. And Satan is the God of this world for right now. But who's in charge of it all? Our Father, Right? Our Father gave us this entire world for our good pleasure. That's awesome, isn't it? Anyway, we could go on and on about that. This is a good time for us to prepare our hearts for communion. And so hopefully you picked up the little communion cup as you came in. Pastor Hamp's going to come and play silently as I walk us through this. And I want to go to Matthew's Gospel here. Often I go to 1 Corinthians 11. But what a beautiful time. It's just always amazing to me how the Lord gives us uh, communion every month. It's always on the second Sunday, but it's always amazing how the Lord just continually proves to Him, proves himself to us. Uh, and today is no different. So in Matthew's gospel, 
chapter 26. This is the very familiar part where the Lord is in the upper room with his disciples and he's taking part in the Passover and this is the last supper, if you will, before he is to make his great sacrifice for us. And notice he says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. Listen, talking about the Lord's provision, not only was he using a symbol of food for the human body, but he was telling them, listen, I am your provider so much so that I'm giving to you myself, myself as a sacrifice so that you can have an eternity with me in heaven. I am your provider. Not only will I give you bread to eat here, in all of your daily provisions, but I am preparing a place for you that you will dwell with me forever. Would you take part in that cracker right now and honor the Lord in your heart as you give thanks for what he's done for you. And then in verse 27, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Nobody's left out no matter who you are, where you come from, or what's been going on in your life, the Lord says, my table is open for you. My heart is open for you. I'll take you just like you are. You don't have to clean yourself up first. I'll take care of all of that. And he's really good about that. You just come. You just come. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. My blood. My blood. He says, my blood I'm giving to you so that you will have a purified soul that is able to dwell with my Father forever. Drink all of it, he says. Don't leave any out. Take all of me. Father, our hearts are blessed as we gather together and love on each other for just a little while today and fellowship and study your word and, and grow in the knowledge of you and hear and be able to discern through your spirit how we're to live and operate in this world. And Lord, mostly what just seems to resonate from everything that we've learned today is not only are you the great provider, but you've just taken away all of the things that we have no need to be concerned about. And so you've come not only to give us life, but you've set us free. You've set us free. And so, Lord, help us to go live as free men and women, spiritually free, enjoying the life that you've given us, being thankful for the things that we have and content with what we have, and, and just serving you each and every day, knowing that this is not the end but just the beginning. Our eternity will be with you forever. And so we thank you, we honor you, we glorify you in our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand, please?